Good morning. Today's scripture I'll be reading is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thank you, Sean. I'm going to move this, and that's a problem for someone in the future. How are we doing this morning, church? I'm doing well. Happy Mother's Day. I appreciated Cody's Mother's Day comments. I do want to spend a moment to honor our mothers this morning, uh, honor my own mother and the mother of my children, the hard work that goes into caring for your children, caring for the people in your life. Um, and not just on Mother's Day, but uh, this is something that we do on a regular basis, but hopefully it is continually on our hearts to pray for our mothers uh, and to uh, 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 pray that they would be blessed, uh, but also praise of thanksgiving for the mothers and the other figures that we have in, in our lives. This is also a uh, day to comfort those who have lost their mothers, to comfort others who have lost their children, to comfort those who have long desired to be a mother. And, and so this is certainly a day of mixed emotions, um, but we are always thankful for the mothers in our, in our lives. As much thanks as we should give to our mothers, though, I do want to give a reminder. This is not to take anything away from our mothers at all. But I do want to give a reminder. And it's the sobering fact that regardless of how good your mother was or good your mother is, you will not be saved because you had a good mother. And to our mothers, regardless of how good a mother you are or how good a mother you wished you were, you will not be saved because you were a good mother either. Even on Mother's Day, as thankful for our mothers as we are, I hope we are never overlooking the true reason why we are all able to be in union with our Father in Heaven regardless of how good your, good your parents are, or regardless of how good or bad your children end up to be, the quality of our mothers or the quality of your motherhood is not how you get to heaven. It's a relationship with Jesus. And that's the idea that I'd like for us to consider this morning about what is going to save us? What is, what is it that's really going to get us to heaven? What is it, that's real, what is it that is, we really need to have in order to have a relationship with 
our Heavenly Father, our Creator. There are a lot of areas in life, motherhood especially, there, that feel incredibly important, and they are. They are so crucial to living a full life in, in this world as they relate to work and family and marriage and being a good parent to our children. There are so many different areas in life that are immensely important to us. And a lot of these important issues have become frequent idle grounds in, in our country. And we feel like these areas are so important. If we don't win in these areas in, in the polls, if, if, if we don't win in these areas, well then our, our future is at risk. And Christians keep getting pulled into these arguments, into these discussions about what's most important. And yes, all of that is important. And yes, we should be very good citizens and good stewards of, of, of the things that are put before us. But if we think that those things are going to save us, and if we keep clinging to these ideas of things that we believe, if, it's, if our world is just this way, then we will be saved. If we have that mindset, then we will end up forgetting who really will save us. The book of Isaiah is written to the people of Israel at a time like this, where Israel had become so caught up in the, the environment, they've been so caught up in what was going on in their community and in the communities around them, and they had actually become really good at being a kingdom. Um, uh, Israel is, for all intents and purposes, a flourishing kingdom, but for all spiritual purposes, they were so completely lost about what their identity was. And Isaiah is my favorite book of the Bible, because at a time where the people of Israel, the people of God, were a time where their identity has become compromised, they're about to go through a major season of transition. And they're going to spend about a century wrestling with who they are as a nation. At the beginning of the book of Isaiah, the prophet is writing to Israel as they are about to go into a season of exile. They're about to be and are already being invaded by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And everything that the people of God had once known as this great kingdom that they were living in, everything that they had grown comfortable with was about to change. Their houses were about to change. Their environments were about to change. The people who they were answering to politically was all about to change. And their identity of a nation, their identity as the people of God, was going to come into question. And about halfway through the book, Israel is actually in exile, and Isaiah is now trying to call them out. And oddly enough, even though they were in exile in these other uh, even in these uh, godless nations, the people of Israel actually grow pretty comfortable with the way things are. And, that, and, the, the, and the prophet Isaiah actually has to ask them to come back. He has to plead with them to want to return home to the promised land because their identity as God's people has shifted. And if we think that our identity as the people of God is contingent on the things that are happening around us, then m much like the people of Israel, as the world goes, so will 
our faith, and so will our relationship with God. The root of Israel's problems is this misunderstanding that they are the ones who are going to bring about their own salvation. Israel needs God much more than they realize, and we need God, too, much more than we realize. And with the time that I have this morning, I want to walk through some of the major themes in Isaiah, some of the issues that Israel's struggling with, and some of the answers that the prophet has for the people at this time of transition. Themes that I think are very important for the church in our world today. No matter how much you think you know or how much good you think you have done, we will never be saved because of ourselves. We will only be saved because of God. So I'm going to be in a couple of different areas in Isaiah this morning, and we're going to look at some of the concerns that Isaiah has for his people, but also the answer that Isaiah has for the nation of Israel, and we'll see how those relate to us this morning. I'm not going to have the scriptures on the screen, but hopefully you can follow along. We'll be all in, uh, uh, in the beginning of the book of Isaiah. Here's the first one. This is from Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, and my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evil, evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, and they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have become utterly estranged. This is how the book of Isaiah opens, and this is Isaiah's first instruction. It kind of sounds like a condemnation. This is the first thing that Isaiah has to say to the people of Israel. He says, you won't be saved because of the things that you used to do. You will not be saved because of the things that you used to do. He says, even the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but the people of Israel no longer are aware of who their God is. Israel is living in the promised land, and they are enjoying the fruits and the blessings that come from being God's people in such a wonderful place. They're enjoying the security, and they're enjoying the good things that God has promised by his presence with his people. And they've done a lot of good things. But over time, as their hearts shift, and over time, as their hearts start to turn to their own desires and their own passions, and their hearts start to turn to the security and comfort offered by foreign nations, as we'll see in just a minute, over time, their hearts changed. And as their hearts have shifted away from God, so have their actions. And even though they're still doing the things that they should, they don't know God anymore. And Isaiah has a wake-up call to, to Israel. He says, you won't be saved because of the things that you used to do. He says, you won't be saved because of the things that your parents used to do. You won't be saved because of the good or bad things that your parents used to do. He says, you don't know God anymore. And because of that, you're about to enter into a season of turmoil and transition. We'll come back to us later, but here's the second thing that I, uh, 
Here's the second thing that Isaiah says to the people of Israel. Also in chapter 1, this is from verse 11 on. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling in my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath are the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates, says the Lord. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. Isaiah's second reminder to the people of Israel is, isn't just you won't be saved because of the things you used to do, but you won't be saved because you go to the right places. You won't be saved because you go to church. The people of Israel, even though their hearts are far from God, they're continuing to keep those sacrifices. They're continuing to keep those festivals, and they're heartless. The things that they're doing, they're not for God anymore. They're for checking the box. They're checking the boxes of the things that we think we're supposed to do so we continue to get the things that we think we're supposed to get. That's what Israel has started to do. And Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel, the Lord hates that your heart is not in the places that you continue to go. He's telling them you won't be saved because you are doing the church practices. You won't be saved because you are going through, through, through the motions. That's Isaiah's second major challenge against the people. And the third one that I want to share uh, is actually in Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says, For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east, and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of the foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols, and they bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. Isaiah's third reminder, third challenge to the people of Israel, is that you won't be saved because you vote for the right people. This issue for Israel is something that we see here and something we see all throughout the New Testament. In, in, this, uh, in this reading in Isaiah chapter 2, we hear about how Israel has become full of treasures and full of horses and uh, full of chariots and full of things from the east. What Israel has done is they have, they have instituted uh, peace treaties with these foreign nations, and they're taking on political endeavors that are giving their nation security. They're doing smart things, supposedly, that nations should be doing to have alliances with these foreign nations and making sure that their government is doing the right thing so that they have long security. Oddly enough, this is the season in Israel's life 
Israel's life as a nation, that their hearts could not be further from God. But from a prosperity's perspective, this is the most successful they've ever been. They have the right people in charge, and they have in, they've orchestrated the right political maneuvers, and so they've got countries in the east who are offering them horses to protect them, and, and Israel is flourishing. But just because things are going well politically doesn't mean you'll be saved. That's not God's promise for his people. You see this same issue later in Isaiah chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. That might sound like the song that we sing that comes from Psalm uh, 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That recurring theme in the New Testament that we see a lot in Isaiah is Israel is trusting in these chariots, these governing bodies, these political entities to give them security and to give them peace and to give them prosperity. But you won't be saved because you vote for the right people. Because God said he would give you those things. Why is Israel looking for those things in other places? That's the charge that Isaiah has against the people of Israel. But those charges aren't just for the people of Israel. They're also reminders for us. Over time, uh, last Sunday, we celebrated 60 years of, of the Lord's work here at, at this congregation, and it, it was a wonderful celebration, a wonderful uh, remembrance of all the different places that this church has touched people, and, and that good work has gone out out into our surrounding area all the way to South America, as, as we saw in the video. It was wonderful. But we need to remember that we won't be saved because of the things we used to do. Our hearts need to be longing for a relationship with Jesus today. We won't be saved because we go to church. We won't be saved because we execute the right motions. We, we, we check the boxes of the things that we're supposed to do so we get the things that we want in our life. That is not at all what God would have for our lives, and that is no way for us to treat our relationship with our Lord. We won't be saved because we go to the right place, and we won't be saved because we worship in the right way. That is not what saves us. And lately, it's really seemed very important to, to be very hands-on in, in the political world. And we feel like we have, to, we have to vote for the right people and get these people into power. And we have to have these right things happen. And yes, we should care about that. But even that is not what's going to save us. Voting for the right policies and having the right things in place. That's not where true security comes from. That's not where true peace comes from. But the book of Isaiah is not just a challenge against the people of Israel, saying, hey, Israel, here's all the things that you, you did wrong. The book of Isaiah is a, is a proclamation of hope for the people of Israel. Isaiah frequently tells Israel, you won't be saved because of anything that you do. But in the book of Isaiah, we start to see allusions 
looking forward to someone else who's going to do something about this problem that we have. Isaiah starts to tell them about Jesus. Isaiah starts to tell the people of Israel about someone who's coming who can save. And Isaiah starts to tell the people of Israel about someone who's coming who will give you an identity that is incorruptible. Isaiah tells them who Jesus is, this Savior that would come, that would restore them not just to the nation of Israel, but to something far greater that God has planned from his people. This is just one of the places that Isaiah tells Israel about this Savior. This is from chapter, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has the light shone. In verse 6, and this might sound familiar, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah tells Israel about who Jesus is. He tells them that Jesus is the light. And from that light will come truth and will come knowledge. He tells them that Jesus would come as a child. Most of the gospel images that we have come to appreciate, especially around Christmas as we think about the nativity, just about 100% of those come from the book of Isaiah. As Isaiah tells the people of Israel, here's who's going to come save you. It's a humble, holy baby. And from that humble place in the manger, the rule of his government will be great, and it will be everlasting. And we like to give the, uh, uh, the Jews in the New Testament a hard time, and we're like, man, how come they didn't expect Jesus to come in the way that he did? Well, it might be because of Isaiah, because he tells them that this Savior is going to come with the Lord of hosts. In Hebrew, it literally just means with all of Yahweh's armies. With Yahweh's great power and might, this Savior is going to come and rescue you. What he's telling them is the security that you've found in places like Egypt and Elastine that security is going to pale in comparison to the security and peace that comes from our Lord Jesus. Even though Isaiah has a lot to say against the people of Israel, he comforts them by telling them, you will be saved because of who Jesus is. But he doesn't just tell them who Jesus is, he also tells them what Jesus is going to do. And this is a longer section, it's in Isaiah chapter 11, but I think it's worth reading in starting in verse 1. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. 
And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This Savior that Isaiah is promising to his people, this this rescuer that Isaiah is saying, this is, this is who's going to come and bring you full, uh, uh, bring you into a full kingdom. What Isaiah is pointing them to is Jesus. And the whole book of Isaiah is Isaiah telling them, you've got to stop thinking that you are the one who is going to save yourself. The only person who can save you is God. The only person who can save you is Jesus, who God will be sending who God will be sending to them. You won't be saved because of what you can do. You will be saved because of what Jesus does and of who Jesus is. This is the last time at least at least for now. I'll have the opportunity to, to address you all. And I hope that over, over the years, the truth of the gospel has been made clear to you that you need to know Jesus in order to know your creator. But if, if, if this is the last thing that I can share with you this morning, I hope that you don't forget that you cannot find hope in anything other than Jesus alone. Your marriage won't save you. You can't be a good husband or a good wife and find your way into heaven. Your, your being a good parent won't save you. Having the best job and being the best worker won't save you. Only your relationship with Jesus will show you to your creator. Your decisions as a church won't save you. Your leadership, your elders, your ministers will not be what saves you. You could organize the perfect ministries and have the most wonderful outreach, but if your heart doesn't know Jesus, then we are in the same place that Israel was when they were going into exile. Doing a lot of things well, but their hearts were far from God. This is the scripture reading that was read by Sean earlier, and I'd like to read it again. This is the core of the book of, of Isaiah. And this is what God is inviting us to do by sending his son Jesus. This is what God is inviting us to participate in as his people. Wash yourself and make yourself clean. And remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice and correct oppression and bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. 
come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, for though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land, and if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Those final two verses right there, I think often get misunderstood because we might start to think of God as the punisher. If, if, if we aren't good, he's going to punish us. And in a way, as the judge, he is. All sin will be punished. But God does not desire for us to be punished. God desires for us to have life. And God desires for us to be clean from our mistakes. And God desires for us to do good just as he created this world to be, to be good. If you are not a Christian this morning and you have not been washed, your sins need to be forgiven. You need to know Jesus so that you can be the person that you were created to be. And if you need to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, we would love to help you do that. You can have a conversation with uh, with. Um, one of our ministers, or find someone afterwards, and you could be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you are a Christian, but over time, your heart has left the things that you continue to do, and you're still going to church, and you're still going through the motions, and you're still trying to be the best father, and trying to be the best mother, and we're trying to be good people, but we have lost our identity as being God's people, and you need the prayers of the church. We would love to pray with you and pray for you if you have a need. The last thing I'll share with you this morning, as I prepare to move on Tuesday. I'm reminded of Paul in Acts chapter 20 after he spends time in Ephesus uh, preaching the gospel to these people and growing in relationship with them, growing very fond of the people in Ephesus, and he's preparing to leave, and they're crying, and they're sad that he will no longer be with them but at the end of the book of Ephesians, when Paul later uh, uh, writes to that church that he loved so dearly, he closes with these uh, he closes he closes with these couple verses, and I will I will uh, leave you with these. The end of Ephesians, starting in verse twenty-three, he says, "Peace be to you, my brothers, and love with faith." I'm God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all of you who love our Lord Jesus with a love that is incorruptible. If you have a need this morning, if you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, or you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters, we would love to pray for you with a love, with an identity as God's people, that no amount of sin, no amount of separation can keep us from. If you have any need this morning, won't you make it known as we stand and we sing?